Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Here's what I want you to do now. I want you to grab a Bible, um, whether it's one that's a hardback or uh, kind of softback or whether it's uh, your phone. Um, I would encourage you to turn it on, open it up. Um, and, and just let me say this, if, if you have a, a, a smartphone, and most people do, there is a great resource that is free for you. It's called um, the UVerse Bible app. And it is a great tool for personal Bible study. Um, every week, Kim Blayton loads all of our, our Bible study notes in there that we use from our messages. So you can go in and follow along there on your phone. You can type your own personal notes. If you save it, then you can refer to it later. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. If you ever see me sitting over there when somebody else is up here speaking and I'm typing on my phone, I'm not sending texts, okay? And most people, I think, that you see doing this uh, are, are actually on that app, and they're taking notes. And uh, it, it's, it's just another way to add to your spiritual journey. And we want to we fan the flame on that. And so uh, one day we're going to do a brief training uh, on a Sunday morning. We're going to just do a little brief training on on that, that app and how, how to use it. So I encourage you to go check it out. Um, before I, I, I read today's scripture, uh, I want us to just think a little bit. Did I tell you we're going to be in Romans 8, by the way? I didn't say that? Okay, now I'm telling you. We're going to be in Romans 8. I told you to get your Bible. I didn't tell you what to do with them other than open them or turn them on. Romans 8 is where we're going to, to be. But before I get there, um, I want to just kind of open the door to where we're going um, because I want to make sure that well, I can't make sure of anything. I, I, I've been thinking about how human, human beings, how we often want to make sure that we can trust those who are in charge of whatever organization we're a part of or, you know, trust in organizational leaders is way down. Um, but we, we want to be able to trust. We want to know, is the person kind of giving leadership to this thing, you know, competent, um, I, uh, I heard recently about a, an airline pilot who, um, before the flight began, announced to uh, everyone in the cabin that uh, this was his last flight, that he was retiring. There were the final, you know, people that he would fly somewhere, that he'd been doing this for like 26, 27 years. And uh, everybody in the, you know, in the cabin just cheered, just cheered for him. Yay, you know, and, you know, that, that helps you maybe have a, a, a little confidence. But do you know what I've never heard? And I, I don't fly that much, but I, I have flown some, and I've never heard a pilot come on and say, hey, this is my first time flying a plane load of passengers. <laughs> Has anybody ever heard a pilot do that? I, I don't think we're going to, you know, it would, it would not instill confidence. Um, we, we just don't do those kinds of things in our culture uh, because we want to instill confidence. We want people to, to think that, you know, the one flying the plane, you know, is competent in, in what they're doing. I heard another interesting um, plane story. It has nothing to do with the message, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, it was a, a, a Lufthansa flight. They were flying across the uh, Atlantic, and um, about halfway across, uh, the, the, the pilot comes on and says, we're going to have to make an emergency water landing. Um, we're having engine failure, and so we got this problem, and so here's how you can help. Um, if you know how to swim, you need to move to the left side of the plane. 
If you don't know how to swim, you need to move to the right side of the plane. And so the attendants help people, you know, get in those categories and get on the left side and right side of the plane. And so the pilot brings the, it was, it was kind of like a, the, the, the most uh, incredible water landing that you could have made, uh, puts the plane down. But then the pilot comes on the plane and says, uh, okay, we're, we're down but um, here's what's going to happen next. Those of you on the left side of the plane, the flight attendants are about to open the emergency exits. And when that happens, you need to get out and swim as fast as you can because this thing's about to sink like a rock. Those of you on the right-hand side of the plane, thank you for flying Duthansa Air. <laughs> I know it's bad. It's, it has nothing to do. But here, here's the deal. All of us want to feel like we can kind of put trust in those who are, are kind of given leadership to something. And, you know, whether it's our doctors, um, whether it's, you know, our kids' teachers or our, our coaches, we, we all want to know, you know, does this, is this person a responsible person? Does this person have skills and competencies? And we, we want to know that so we can kind of be at ease, have, have a little peace in any given kind of situation. Now, ultimately, if you let that thought go to, you know, kind of the nth degree, you're going to end up at God with that question. Is God somebody who can be trusted in, in this world? Is he somebody that knows what he's doing? Is he, am I able to put my trust in him? Or am I just at the mercy of my circumstances? And this leads to something else that I think is true of human beings. And it's this, we are going to either live in the mercy of God or we're going to live at the mercy of our circumstances. We, we, we kind of live one, and, and that's kind of today's big question uh, for the message is simply this, will you live primarily in the mercy of God or primarily at the mercy of your circumstances? And so I, I, I want us to think about how do we answer that question with this kind of big idea? And it's simply this that Paul's going to point out in this passage that we're going to read in a minute. And it's that God is in all things. God is, is in all things. Now, there are a lot of things that are going to happen in this life to all of us. Uh, a lot of things that are going to pass in, into our lives. And the reason that this message, I think, is important for now is because we live in a culture that's primarily under the illusion that, you know, they can be in control. That a person is actually somehow in control of their destiny, of the things that are going to happen, that, you know, we're self-sufficient, I can run things, um, I, I can handle things based on my own personal strength, my own education, my, you know, my uh, own networks. I, I'm fully capable until something happens, until a blood vessel bursts, or a heart valve fails, or a rogue cell reproduces rapidly, or someone's driving a car and another someone in another car runs a stop sign. Or like with me this week, um, I, I found, Kathy and I found my dad um, on his bedroom floor, uh, not responsive. And uh, he had apparently been there all night. Um, and he kind of aroused, and we were able to talk to him, and, you know, EMS came and all that kind of stuff. He ended up being hospitalized. He had COVID, 
and um, just kind of got in a bad, bad way. He's doing much, much better. He's out now and home. Thank you for praying. I know so many of you did, so I, I appreciate that. But that was, I wasn't in control. I didn't, you know, I, there, there was no way for, for me to, to know here and how to handle it and what to do. And this isn't just with the big crises that come. We're not really in control of anything. You weren't, you're, you're, you weren't in control of the family into which you were born. You, you, you weren't. You know, you're, you're not in control of going through puberty if you haven't been through it yet. All of us, you know, had to, had to go through that journey. Um, trouble happens. Suffering happens. Difficulty happens. Death happens. Healing happens. Good things happen. And here's what I want us to kind of grab hold of and, and, and look at today is, is that we need to be able to see if we want to live in this world with any sense of peace and purpose is that God is in all things and he's at work. He's involved. And if we can learn that as our reality, if, if we can build on that as our reality, then we could live with greater freedom and greater ease and greater confidence and it, it could actually be liberating for for our souls. And so that's kind of where I, I want us to head this morning. Um, and in order to do that, we've got to kind of have a starting reference point. And that starting reference point has to be uh, that we serve a God who is over circumstances, bigger than circumstances, beyond any circumstance that, that you and, and I can face. And I don't know of a, a single phrase that helps us wrap our minds around that more than a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 8, that great chapter of Romans that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write over 2,000 years ago, and it's Romans 8, verse 28. And this is what the apostle writes. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want to challenge you this week. Now, if you're already on some type of regular scripture memorization system, I'm not asking you to stop that. Um, but if you're not, I want to encourage you to, to take this week to use this verse as a focus of memorization and, and meditation. Now, I know, you know, that's the M word for many people. Many people think it's, you know, you, you can't, I, I'm too old to memorize. Writers of scripture have a lot to say. Uh, about this topic of, of biblical memorization and meditation. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 says this, Study this book of instruction. Continually meditate on it day and night. You will be sure to obey everything written in it then, and only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. The, the lo longest chapter in that great book of Psalms is Psalm 119. Some of you have read it. You'll, you'll remember parts of it probably. But it's the longest chapter. You know what it's a celebration of? It's a celebration that it is possible to live the kind of life that can hide God's word in our hearts. It's just this great big celebration that we're capable of that. Many of you know that uh, I think Dallas Willard is one of the brightest minds that, 
has ever written. And um, he's writing about this idea in the scriptures. And since Psalm 1, Psalm 119, Joshua 1, 8 that we just read. And he's talking about this activity of memorization meditation. And he, he, he says this. He says, here we have an activity of mind and body undertaken with all strength we have to make our total being cooperate effectively with the divine order. He goes on to say, as a pastor, a teacher, and counselor, I have repeatedly seen the transformation of inner and outer life that comes simply from memorization and meditation upon the scriptures. Personally, I would never undertake to pastor a church or guide a program of Christian education that did not involve a continuous program of memorization of the choicest passage of Scripture for people of all ages. He, he says, I wouldn't even try to lead a church or a Christian ministry of any kind without that. And then he goes on to say, the inspired writers of the words quoted above, speaking of Psalm 1 and Psalm 119, were simply recording certain observable facts of the spiritual life. He's saying that those celebrations, what, what we read in uh, Joshua 1.8 even, is that's just, those are observable facts of the spiritual life and the role that meditation and memorization play on that. It's about filling our minds with Scripture. And I know meditation and memorization uh, can be, be difficult. Um, let me see if I can do it this way. Let, let's do a raise your hand moment. How many of you, every time you meet a new person, you always remember their name the next time you see them? We got one. I, I, I need you to teach me how to do that because I ain't, I ain't that person, okay? Okay, that's one category. Next category, how many of you, every now and then that happens? You can do it sometimes, sometimes you can't. Okay, okay. Uh, third, how many of you don't know your own name all the time? Okay, okay, that's what I thought. How many of you have already forgot the three categories now? Yeah, okay, that, I kind of figured that was, you know, it's, it's, I get it that it can be challenging. But here's the deal about scripture memorization. It's not so much about how much of it you get. What matters is what happens to your mind and your heart on the journey. So take the journey because it's good, it's good for your soul. You'll be exercising your mind and heart. They're going to be being shaped and stretched by the very words of God. And so I want to encourage that. And if you're a small group leader or you lead one of our Bible study classes, let me, let me encourage you to maybe make that a part of the rhythm of your group's life, that you guys are working on memorizing, meditating on God's word. You share from time to time, what that experience is like, what you're learning, how God is using that. It can be, it can be very, very uh, in, encouraging. And so I want to encourage you to do that because I think it would be incredible if, if River Bluffians, if we as a church were known as a people who, as the scriptures say, delight in the law of the Lord. That would just be so cool if, you know, when people thought about River Bluffians, they would think, those are those people that delight in God's, in, in God's word. They like to fill their minds with, with the word of God. And so to just kind of spark that along a little bit for this week, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to, to maybe make this verse a verse to do that with. And so to get it started, I'm going to ask you to read it aloud with me with joy in your hearts. 
And so uh, let's stand just for a moment, to, to, if you're able, to, to read God's word, this word from God aloud together. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Read it with me. And we know that in all things God works for good for those who love him, those called according to his purpose. Yay. Yay. Okay, you can be seated. Today, as we kind of walk through this, what I want to do is I just want to unpack this phrase by phrase. That's kind of what meditating on God's word is. I just want to kind of meditate with you together on this. Um, and, and there's some things important to understand. And, and the first one is this. It's that phrase, in all things. Now, here's what that tells me is this. Uh, is that all things happen to all of us. In other words, I think this is just the truth. Is that all the circumstances of this world happen to everybody, happen to all of us. No one is exempt. No one is exempt from suffering or sadness or difficulty. Uh, sometimes I think it can be tempting for people to think, you know, if I become a Christian, then certain things aren't supposed to happen to me. You know, they, they, they think, you know, that this idea of all things doesn't necessarily really uh, apply to them in all circumstances. The, the, they begin to think that, you know, People who love God, believe in God, are going to be exempt from some of those all things. And that's just not, not true. Um, now, again, this isn't going to be rocket science. There are basically kind of what I would call two categories of things that can happen to you, good things or bad things. You know, categories of good things. Let's, again, just kind of interactive for a moment. Uh, I'm going to name some things, and you tell me where you, whether you would classify them as a good thing or, or a bad thing. Um, uh, first one is a, uh, a job promotion. Good thing, bad thing? Good, good thing. I, I get that it could be a little iffy, you know, um, sometimes. But usually most people think of a, a promotion as a good thing. Sickness. Bad thing. Most people would automatically say, no, I don't want no, no, no sickness. Um, passing a final exam. Yeah, good thing. Good thing. Um, a blind date. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, it, it, w w all of us are going to face good things and bad things coming into our lives. But again, very often, people who, you know, Christian people think that life in the kingdom of God is just about the good things. You know, because there's this mindset behind it that basically is saying, well, if God is doing his job right, only good things are going to happen to me. But that is not what Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture. People have, you know, in strange ways developed theologies where they, they kind of teach and think that, you know, if I'm a Christian and you're not a Christian, then more good things should happen to me than happen to you. And if that's not happening, then God's doing something wrong. And they get all bent out of shape or either they begin thinking, well, then something's wrong with me and I'm not being faithful enough and I need to pray more. I need to, I need to be really good to God, you know, so that I can get to that place where God ought to give me the good things that I'm not getting. And that's just not the teaching of Scripture. It's not in, in, in the Word of God because all things happen to all people, good, good and bad. Traffic jams happen to everybody. You know, they, they just do. 
uh, problems at work, cranky neighbors, you know, appliances breaking, getting COVID, you know, uh, those things happen to, to all people. Um, people who believe in God and trust him, as well as people who do not. You know, I, th- I think about that mother of four and wife who was married to that youth pastor in Kansas who two weeks ago tried to kill all of them and set their house on fire. She loved the Lord. Would you consider that a good thing in her life? No. She, she, she was devastated. Her kids are devastated, hospitalized. You know, it's, it's crazy how we get our mind wrapped up in this through the deceiver. Um, you know how that happens. Uh, there was a lady in our church who uh, got some really bad news of, about her health, was really, really struggling after this very serious diagnosis, and went to see her, her surgeon. And after having a conversation with her surgeon, she came to realize that had they not found this, had they not made this diagnosis, then this time next year she might not be here. And so she saw this thing in her life differently and actually began to see God at work. Now, an attitude like that can, can only come from someone who begins to understand that God is working in all things. See, and let me say this about church life. Friends, when, when churches get disingenuine in this area or confused in this area and someone you know, comes into a church maybe for the first time, and it's always just this kind of sappy, happy, glib conversation about, about the pain in life, about how if you love God, only good things are going to happen to you. Friends, that kills. That kills. It destroys souls because this life is messy. You know, our job is not to be glib about painful circumstances. Our job is to love people and to, to, to walk beside people who are suffering deeply. Our job is to, is to love them, to come alongside them. And I, I want you to hear me say, if, if that's you today, we, we want to. We want to we pray with you and for you. And we want to walk with you and beside you. And we want you to... As you come out of the other side of this to then turn and do the same thing with, with someone else. Because we want to seek this God who's at work in uh, all things. See, the, the reality is all of us experience all circumstances in life. There's uh, a great writer. Um, he really impacted my life when he wrote on uh, Jesus' teaching on the prodigal. His name's Henry Nowen. And, and he wrote this about his own life. He was doing some journaling. And as he was thinking about himself facing circumstances, he wrote this. He said, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? To God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection, I'm depressed. A little praise raises my spirit, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. 
Often I feel like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. Is the world defining you? Is, does that kind of describe you? Because if that's true, then you have missed the reality that all things actually happen to all people. But you don't have to live at the mercy uh, of circumstances. I was thinking uh, this week about a moment uh, years ago. Um, some of you know that uh, there was a season in my life before I surrendered to the ministry that I was in school studying to uh, special education uh, to work with the Special Olympics, and I volunteered and, and those kinds of things already during in, in the Special Olympics back in those days. And I remember uh, working with several families who had children uh, with, with Down syndrome. And one of the fathers, in a conversation we were having one day, he was a believer, and he was just kind of sharing his soul. And one of the things he said was that when they first got the diagnosis about their son, was that he, he, he went to God in prayer and said, God, why did you do this to me? Why, why did you do this to me? He says, but now, when he prays to God about his son, he says, I thank God for the great blessing of this special child. He says, our family has learned more about love from him than from anybody. We've learned how to serve because of him like we never would have without him. And he, he went on to talk about how cheerful his son was. He was just relentlessly cheerful in his family. And, and he said, he said, I'm not the author of this saying, but I really do believe, he said, that they should not call it Down syndrome. He said they ought to call it Up syndrome because they were just, his, his son was just so incredibly happy and it was infectious. See, the, the statement that Paul makes here, that man came to understand that it's not just about the good things because God's at work in all things. It's all circumstances. And look what, God, what, what Paul wrote. God inspired him to say this. He says, in all things, God works. Verse 28. In all things, God works. It doesn't say all things work out. As a matter of fact, if you study that chapter, um, go back a few verses to chapter uh, 8 of, of Romans, verse 21, You'll, you'll read this. Paul's speaking about the, the imminent return of Jesus, the day that Jesus is coming back, and about what we've got to do until then, what life on the planet is like until then. And he, he, he writes these words. He says in verse 21, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. He says all creation's under bondage to decay. You know, I meet people from time to time that, they just, you know, every time you've asked them, well, how's it going? Well, everything's okay. And they just kind of act, act like everything's okay. Friends, things are not always okay. And it's okay not to be okay sometimes. And it's okay to say that out loud. It, 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 it really is. You know, everything is in bondage to decay. Things fall apart. It's why we have mechanics. It's why we have plumbers. It's why we have heart surgeons. It's why when you buy a new car, it depreciates as you drive it off the lot. 
because everything is in decay. It's why when you buy an extended warranty on an appliance, that appliance breaks three days after that warranty runs out. Everything's in decay. It's why people who uh, try to date online only put pictures of themselves that are 15 years old. Because everything, and we know who you are, by the way, everything is in a state of, of decay, in a bondage to this decay. And the promise here in, in Romans 8.28 is not everything is going to work out. That, that's not what it is. It's promised that God is working. God is at work in, in all of these things. God is at work in the midst of this bondage to decay that we all suffer from. And so here's the truth. God is at work in all circumstances, good and bad. God is working in those things. God, he works in the good, he works in the bad. He's, he's constantly at work. And we've got to keep in our minds how incredibly big God is, how powerful God is. He's, he's bigger than any circumstance. One of the things that scripture writers do, especially Old Testament scripture writers, they would, they would write beautifully about the bigness of God. In Isaiah chapter 40, if you want to just kind of look at the scriptures, it comes up. Verse 12, it says, he's talking about God. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Not long ago, I was listening to a podcast um, where uh, the guy being interviewed is a, he, he's an astrophysicist. He's a Christian. And he was talking about the night sky. And he was talking about just the, how extraordinary it, it, it is and how a single galaxy that we can see with, you know, a, a telescope can contain 100 trillion stars. 100 trillion stars. And how they estimate that in our universe there are about 200 billion galaxies containing 100 trillion stars or, or more each. And our God made all of that. He measured it by the breadth of his hand, the scripture says. See, you see, the problem a lot of us have is that we, we see this vast universe and think that our God is tiny compared to it. It's the exact opposite. Our God is massive and powerful and, and holds it all in his hand. He's this giant God. If you went a little further down in Isaiah 40, it, it, the writer writes these words. He says, look up into the heavens. Who created all stars? Who brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name? Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. How many of you, like me, lose these from time to time? You know? Um, a while back, my wife bought me this. It's a tile, is what it's called. And it connects to my phone. And so if I lose my keys, I can find them. Except my problem is my keys are usually with my phone. <laughs> but that's okay because I can go to my laptop and find them both. Okay? You, you, know, what, you know what never happens to God? God never goes, oh, my gosh, what happened to Polaris? Where is that star? God knows 
where each and every of those 100 trillion and those 200 billion galaxies, he knows where each one is. He, he, he pulls them out is, is what the scripture says. That's, that's our God. He's over and above every circumstance that comes our way. Anybody in here ever flown over an ocean? You know, sometimes those can be hours and hours. Just they're vast. They're massive. And the Bible says, God, he holds them in his hand. See, our God is so incredibly big that any circumstance, he, he is over. And he's at work in all of them. All of them. Simultaneously. Because he is able. Back to our verse. Paul says, in all things, God works for the good. And it's very important to understand that's who God is. God is at work for, for good. And I hate have to tell you this. Again, this is one of those places where people take something out of context and things get misunderstood. And people think this, what this means is, because I'm a Christian, only good things are going to happen. And if they're not happening, what that means is God's going to give you know. Give me a better circumstance. For instance, if I, if, if I didn't get that job that I wanted, oh, that means there's a better one out there. Or I didn't get to marry this person, oh, that means there's a better one out there. Well, maybe, maybe God's plan for you is to take a, a less paying job right now. Maybe he's got something else that he's got in mind for you. Maybe you're going to be that person that leads somebody to Jesus that could have only happened if you were there. There's something eternal going on you know and and we've got to be aware that those things are true that God is at work in all things but he's not necessarily going to make it good in that moment for you and here's something else that I think is really a deeper meaning in this verse that we've got to wrap our minds around sure good things are going to happen to you and to me in this life you've had some good things happen to you in this life I've had good things happen to me in this life. But, and, and that's what we generally want. We generally want that. But here's another thing that God is looking at. God wants good things to happen in you. God is more interested, actually, in good things happening in you than he is that good things happen to you. You know, kids, you know, from, the, from their parents, they would like, a bigger allowance, they would like, you know, more toys, they'd like to do more trips, those kinds of things. However, as a parent, if we truly love our kids, we're more interested about what's happening in them than what happens to them that's always good. So much so that sometimes we will have to do something that feels to the kid bad, feels like a bad thing called discipline called time out in order to kind of massage that good thing is happening in our child. If a parent really loves a child, they will do that. Not that they don't care that some good things happen to their kid, but they're most concerned that good things happen in a kid. And see, that's what God's doing. God is more interested in the, the good thing that is happening in you. Because what that's about is the character of Jesus forming in you. So that love and peace and joy and goodness, and th that those things are growing in you in greater abundance. And I believe that this promise in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, that's the focus 
of that good thing that God is doing, that God's at work in. There's just a truth here. God's work is primarily about good things happening in you, not to you. It's primarily about about that. And somebody says, you know, Joe, where do you get that from? Well, when you read verse 28 and 29 together, they go back to back for a reason. Something interesting happens. Look at Romans 28 and 29 with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, here's his purpose. For those God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God, God's plan is not just you know, for you to have good circumstances in your life. God's plan in this good that he is working is that Jesus will be formed in you because that will last you in, into eternity, you know? We get so caught up in thinking about wanting God to do something about our circumstances, but God is at work doing something bigger and better, something much more noble. That's who God is. God, God promises to be at work in your circumstances, but God is wanting to work in you, forming the character of Christ. Let's press on. Paul writes, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. This is one of my favorite parts of that, that passage of scripture. God wants people who love him. Now, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a Jew. And like any good Jew of the Apostle Paul's day, he would have awakened every morning and probably even in the evening before he went to bed, he would have uh, quoted what was known as the Shema. And it, that comes from uh, the book of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, and it's this passage of Scripture. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And they would repeat that every day. They would say that every day. Why do you think the nation of Israel loved that verse so much? Now remember, this was thousands of years ago in a very pagan culture. Why did they wake up saying, we need to love the Lord our God? Why did they go to bed saying, you need to love the Lord your God? Here's why. Because it meant that their God was lovable. You know, you, you read historically about those people who worship uh, Baal. You don't read about them saying anything about loving Baal. You read about people who worship Molech. You, you're not going to find passages about, you know, loving Molech. Uh, too often we get this weird picture in our mind. It's kind of it's like, you know, little kids get this picture in their minds of, of adults being like, you know, giants, uh, and being puffed up and just walking around saying, I'm daddy, obey me. I'm mommy, obey me. Do what I say, you know. And we transfer that onto God even as adults, thinking that that's what, what God is like, who's just walking around saying, you know, obey me, serve me, do what I say. And, and that's not really the core of, of who God is at all. And one of the most amazing truths that the nation of Israel gave to the world was this idea that God wants to be loved, that he's lovable. And this is part of what 
has to be figured into any meditation on this verse. It has to be in our minds, in our hearts. One of the things that uh, Dr. Willard, I remember Dr. Willard saying in a conference I was at, he, he, he said that the acid test for any good theology is does it lead us to a God who loves? And he said if it doesn't, you need to discard it. It's worthless because he's such a lovable God, because he's such a God of love. Now, this will kind of raise a question when you push this question out far enough. You know, if God is at work in all things for those who love him, what is God doing for those who don't? What is God doing for those who, you know, haven't declared their love for him? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus answers that question. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven so that you would look like God. He goes on to say, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Friends, here's the truth about God at work. God is at work for those who love him and those who don't. God is working good for those who love him and, and for those who don't because he's such an incredibly lovable God. Because he is this God of love. And we need to think about God this way and we, we need to see him constantly working for good. Because God is blessing and loving every creature. Everyone that he has created. And one day in eternity, you and I will be able to see him doing this in all things. In all the things that came and entered into our lives. Now, I've got time for one more phrase. I'm going to have to do this rather quickly so we can get the, the worship team back up here. And so we're going to skip that, that part about being called according to his purpose. We're going to go back to the beginning of the verse. I, I just want to close with this thought. Um, Romans 8, 28 again. And we know. I want us to think about that phrase. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And we know. Because this is an important such an important part of this phrase that we need to grow in. This is not, it doesn't say that we think or that we guess or we suspect or we hypothesize. It's that this is something that's knowable. This is, this is knowledge-based. Paul says, you can know it. I want, I want, God wants you to know this. But here's the question. How do, you, how do you truly come to know something like this about God? How do you, how do you know God, how do you know a God who's at work for, for good in all things? Well, it doesn't come from having a high IQ. It doesn't necessarily come from getting some more information about him. Here's how it comes. It comes from making a connection between doing and knowing. You got to make a connection between, you know, come to know is to is to do and so here's a truth again and it's simply this obeying obeying God's word substantiates knowing this God who works knowing is connected to doing only when I obey from a trusting heart only when I do what God's word calls me to do only then Will I get to begin to see God at work in, in all things? This is just true. 
you come to know God by, by doing his will. Now, if I refuse to obey, I'm never going to know that God. I'm never going to see him working in all things. In the Old Testament, the, the prophet, really one of the first prophets, Samuel, God inspired him to write these words. He says, which does the Lord prefer? Obedience or offerings and sacrifice? And the answer to the question, it's better to obey him. Why do you think God prefers obedience to almost anything else? Why, why do you think he prefers that? Because God knows that obedience is the only true path to knowing him and that knowing him is the only true path to getting to love him. Look what Jesus said in John 14. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. See, there is this connect, friends, to getting to know that God who is at work in all things for good, for those who love him. There, there's this connection to, to knowing that and obeying the word of the Lord. It's where you come to know him deeply and to grow to love him personally. God's word says, and we know, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come at the end of this time to think for just a moment of where we need to press in to the truth of your word that we've looked at. God, do we, maybe we're someone who needs to see how really big and powerful and beautiful and wonderful you are so that we'll trust so that we'll know you as a God who can be over and above our circumstances. So we quit living at the mercy of every circumstance that blows into our lives. Or, or maybe, maybe today we need to see you for the first time as a God who loves, loves, loves us individually, personally and intimately. Maybe you're here today and you need to respond to that love, that God who is loving and lovable. And you need to respond to his mercy that he gave through his son Jesus on the cross. And you just need to put your trust in him. and Say, God, I've been trying to trust in my own way. And every time I face all these things, it's just a train wreck in my soul. I need you, God. I need to believe you and trust you and walk with you and know you. And God says you can. And the starting place is at the cross of his son Jesus, believing that he died for your sin, that you can be made right with the God of all creation because of what Jesus did, not because of anything you'll ever do. And you need to put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus. 
you can do that right now. You can just cry out to God and say, Jesus, save me. I give you my life. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you have trusted the Lord that way, but you have allowed the circumstances in your life to overwhelm you and you need, you need to see God. You need to pull back from the circumstances and see the God of the Bible. See the God of all creation who loves you, who knows you by name, who's calling to you right now and wants you to hear him say, I am faithful to you. I love you. I will always be faithful to you. I am at work in all things that you are facing right now. No matter how difficult they are, I am at work in all those things for good, for good in you, for all eternity. And maybe you just need to come to that God and say, God, I'm here. I'm coming back. Lord, we come just to kind of close our time together in worship, proclaiming again through song a truth that you are faithful, that you are faithful in all things that we can trust you in all things, that we can believe, we can know you by obeying your word. And so we come again. We come to worship you. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, in Jesus' name, to stand right now and just worship this Lord who can be found faithful. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.